Hello and welcome to Udcast, episode 58. This is Head of School Dan Glass with you once again, recording live in the Sound Lab here at the Brandeis School of San Francisco. A special hello to Lynn Wendell, a friend and colleague, somebody who helps the school a great deal. Just parted ways with her from a meeting, and uh, she is a regular reader of the Word of the Week. And I said, hey, I'm headed up to the Sound Lab to record the Yudcast, the podcast version of the Word of the Week. And she said, oh my gosh, how did I not know such a thing existed? Now she does. I'm going to send this to her. So hi, Lynn. And hello to all of you listeners out there. We're going to start this week as we start every week with a poem. Uh, this is a uh, from a book, a really wonderful book that I have talked about before here on the Yudcast called No Language is Neutral. It's by Dion Brand, um, who's a really amazing uh, Canadian poet. And uh, this is the end of the titular poem, uh, No Language is Neutral, um, which is in uh, several big sort of blocky sections, and this is the last of them. In another place not here, a woman might touch something between beauty and nowhere. Back there and here might pass hand over hand her own trembling life. But I have tried to imagine a sea not bleeding, a girl's glance full as a verse, a woman growing old and never crying to a radio hissing of a black boy's murder. I have tried to keep my throat gurgling like a bird's. I have listened to the hard gossip of race that inhabits this road. Even in this, I have tried to hum mud and feathers and sit peacefully in this foliage of bones and rain. I have chewed a few votive leaves here, their taste already disenchanting my mother's. I have tried to write this thing calmly even as its lines burn to a close. I have come to know something simple. Each sentence realized or dream jumps like a pulse with history and takes a side. What I say in any language is told in faultless knowledge of skin, in drunkenness and weeping, told as a woman without matches and tinder, not in words and in words and in words learned by heart, told in secret and not in secret, and listen, does not burn out or waste, and is plenty and pitiless and loves. Love that poem, uh, which, you know, this book is now uh, going on 30 years old, and, and that is a poem about, um, uh, about systemic violence against black bodies, um, and it's amazing and sad how uh, relevant it remains um, 27, 28 years after its publication. Um, and I like to bring it up. It is one of those books. Uh, I was talking with a friend and colleague, uh, Darren Kleinberg, Rabbi Darren Kleinberg, who is head of school at Kahila Jewish High School in Palo Alto about um, the, the sense uh, of urgency in this moment um, about how, uh, you know, it, it feels like we have reached a tipping point around gun violence. And, and he was... He said sort of offhandedly that um, sometimes it feels like uh, 
an entire notion of a book can be contained in its title. Um, and I've always felt that way about this book in particular, which is what made me think to pick it up, that no language is neutral. Um, I believe that to be very true. There are no neutral acts in this world. There is no way to say something that does not carry within it, uh, as Dion Brand says, um, the weight of history, the knowledge uh, of, of the violence contained within the histories that we all live and live with. Um, and that feels true uh, as well. And, and it's in some ways, uh, it relates, it's sort of adjacent to what I wanted to share with you all this week. Um, I've titled this uh, piece this week, Ethics Can't Be a Side Hustle, which is uh, taken um, from a blog post uh, by the designer Mike Montero, who wrote it. Um, and uh, it came up for me because a few weeks ago, um, the uh, we were having a kindergarten parent social and I was talking with some fellow parents about driverless cars which is um, I think increasingly become cocktail party conversation fodder uh, and um, which speaks to a, a sort of impending proximity um, of, of the future in which they exist um, and uh, they're they're familiar lanes to this conversation at this point that, you know, we talk about um, why we feel squeamish about computers uh, driving a car when we happily let strangers drive us via Uber or Lyft. We talk about a sort of vision of a road trip with the family sitting in the back of the car playing cards as though they were on a train or something similar. And of course, the ethical dilemmas that such cars provoke. Um, and that last part is especially close to my heart as head of school here at Brandeis, where we are deeply concerned with teaching ethics. I've written about this topic before. Um, the uh, MIT, Some folks at MIT developed something called the moral machine um, that invited people to uh, sort of make decisions with these kind of black or white you know, this way or that way kind of scenarios that a car would have to choose between, say, swerving left and running over uh, a, uh, a child or continuing straight and injuring, potentially killing the people in the car. And you had to pick one or the other through this series of, uh, of ethical or moral dilemmas. And... Um, you know, I, I am very uncomfortable at the idea of human lives measured in nanoseconds uh, at percentages of likely deaths. Um, it, uh, it's, it's not something um, that, uh, that, that I think um, even a very cleverly designed uh, interface like the moral machine should be um, the method by which we uh, let computers make those decisions. Um, and yet Donna Oram, who's the president of the National Association of Independent Schools, wrote in a recent article um, on, on AI and education that, quote, the technology will evolve far before we have the opportunity to deal with the social and ethical issues it may provoke. And I think that's true. I, I mean, I think we're clearly seeing that that is true. You know, I, I see it when, for example, in my, uh, my father's backyard in Santa Cruz, there is uh, some 
some person in the neighborhood, I assume it's a child, has started flying a drone around. And we, uh, we have on numerous occasions found ourselves sitting in the backyard uh, and a, with a drone kind of hovering in the air, you know, not five feet or 10 feet above us, but 50 or 75 feet up in the air. Uh, and and I think there are uh, ethical dilemmas even in that moment. Um, does this uh, child have the right, does this person have the right to have a drone in the airspace uh, of a person's backyard? Is, is this a drone with a camera on it? Are they looking at things? Who knows, right? Um, and yet, I don't think the truth of that of of Donna Ornum's statement that technology will evolve far before we have the opportunity to deal with the social and ethical issues it may provoke. I don't think that absolves us as educators from attempting to wrestle with these ethical issues, and in particular, creating space for our students to do the same. Um, a few weeks ago, Sandy Bisson, who's our Create Space designer and facilitator shared an article with me and Nicholas Cole Farrell, our Director of Technology and Making, on courses being developed at Stanford and MIT, NYU and Harvard um, to address the ethics of tech. Uh, and, um, you know, Sandy works with us in addition to her work in CREATE. She is also a co-facilitator uh, of the Ethical Creativity Institute, which we run each year. And so these issues are also close to her heart, the, the, the gist of the article um, is that a bunch of professors at these elite, elite institutions have realized that they're behind the eight ball, that they should be teaching people to center their work in ethical questions and practices as they are teaching them to code rather than after the fact, or as is most often the case, when concerns are raised once a product is already uh, out in the market. and. Um, this is where we came to the uh, conversation about ethics not being a, a side hustle. Um, and Mike Montero, uh, in, a, in this um, uh, blog post, which Nicholas sent back to, to me and Sandy as part of this conversation about teaching ethics, um, he argues that you can't do, quote unquote, good work on the weekend to make yourself feel better for helping design products in your normal job that are bad for the world that ethics can't be a side hustle. It's got to be uh, core to your work um, as, as a person in the world. And I couldn't agree more. Um, and that's why we've created the Ethical Creativity Institute. Uh, so, you know, we're putting design instructors from the D School at Stanford next to rabbis uh, on the schedule. And we're, we're um, inviting teachers to learn with those folks because we want people to recognize not only that no language is neutral, right? There is no no uh, ethically neutral position uh, in the world, but also that we want teachers putting the why in design thinking. We want them thinking about why are we doing this? What is the outcome that we're hoping for? Um, and also how why are we putting things together in this way uh, from the very beginning? We want teachers designing curriculum that puts Jewish ethics at the center of the work because we want our kids to graduate understanding that ethics is not, in fact, a side hustle. It's the whole game. This is our world, and we only get one life to make our tikkun, to make our repair to that world. And so it should be central uh, to our work and our lives every day. So that is my 
soapbox moment for this week. Uh, I think it's really important, and um, uh, and I'm grateful to be in a place where we recognize it's important and are working to uh, to ensure that our kids do as well. So with that, I wish you all weekends and weeks, not just weekends, full of good work, my friends. Shabbat Shalom to any of you listening on Shabbat. Thanks for being with us here on the Yudcast. Uh, We'll see you next week.